Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we have a very, very special day today, don't we, on the calendars of the Roman Catholic Church and also some of the Eastern Catholic Churches. Today, the Sunday, is the Sunday of the Immaculate Conception, or, as you might suspect, it'll be a little different in the East, called the Conception of the Mother of God in the Womb of St. Anne, or sometimes even called the Maternity of St. Anne. So now already you're picking up that classic difference between East and West. Arriving at the same point, as we always say here in this program, but coming at it from different emphasis, from different perspectives. Remember, different perspective does not mean that one is better than the other, or superior, or more right than the other. They're just different. Is a man more right than a woman? A woman more right than a man? No, they're just different. But they are both rightly human. Same thing in the church. So this is one of those very interesting topics because there's a discrepancy, but again, largely by emphasis and philosophical perspective between East and West on this concept, this teaching of the Immaculate Conception. I'm going to read a little definition from a handy set of books that I have. It's called the New Catholic People's Encyclopedia. It goes back to 1973 from the Catholic Press right here in Chicago, where we broadcast from here at Light of the East. They're handy little things, and this is what it says in the section on the Immaculate Conception. It, of course, is a doctrine of the Church, which holds that special privilege of God, and through the merits of Christ, Mary was preserved from original sin from the very moment of her conception. Now, the doctrine concerns only freedom from original sin and should not be confused with the virgin birth. Because she was kept free from original sin while in the womb, Mary differs from all other natural descendants of Adam. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception has always been believed by the faithful. It was officially made dogma by Pope Pius IX in 1854. Now, I always remember that date personally because it's 100 years before I was born. <laughs> I was born in 1954. As dogma, it demands belief in Our Lady's complete triumph over the devil, her freedom from any kind of sin, and her fullness of grace. Now, many writers of the early church, including St. Justin and St. Irenaeus, compared Mary to Eve before the fall. In his writings, for instance, St. Ephraim, now he was in the 4th century, clarified the doctrine of Mary as the second Eve. The first certain evidence of the observance of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception appears in an 8th century work. By the following century, that would be the 9th century, the Feast was celebrated throughout the Eastern Church. By the second half of the 11th century, the Feast was being observed in England on December 8th. Now in the East, it was observed on December 9th, but I'll get to that later. From England, the custom of observing this feast spread to continental Europe. Now, in the 12th century, 
A little difficulty arose. Think about this dogma for a moment. You might think of this as well. How this feast could be reconciled with the universality of original sin and Mary's need for a redeemer. In other words, if we're all born with original sin and Mary is a human being too, how can this be reconciled with that universal inheritance of original sin? The dichotomy arose because Mary had always been considered perfectly sinless. Now, the Scottish theologian Duns Scotus, and he died in 1308 AD, proposed a solution to the conflict. According to him, Mary, like the rest of mankind, was redeemed by Christ, but in a different way. Whereas other men are redeemed by being cleansed of the original sin that they acquire at conception, she was redeemed by being preserved from that sin in the first place. Both acts are redemptory. Now, to understand this dogma and how the East and West come at it a little differently, we also have to understand the concept of original sin. In the West, the concept of original sin, how it's articulated, West, of course, meaning especially the Roman Catholic Church, has a strong emphasis, at least philosophically, the West comes from the philosophy of Aristotle, but also from St. Augustine, theologically, and he speaks a lot about inherited guilt or inheriting the stain of original sin. Now, in the East, they had a little different perspective. They looked at original sin as more of an inheriting or being born into a fallen world. In other words, the whole world, our whole reality here on this side of eternity is fallen, affected by original sin. But the East never emphasized inherited guilt or the stain of original sin. So in baptism, the East does not speak of getting rid of guilt or stain as much as it speaks about restoring that original image of God. In other words, dying to an old self and rising to a new self. A little bit different emphasis, but arriving at the same point. Now, the East, especially among our Eastern Orthodox brethren, they kind of have a bit of a problem with the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, at least the way it's articulated by the West. Now, again, I want to keep emphasizing, and this program probably be a little bit confusing, but it's a lot about nuance and approach philosophically in terms of vision and perspective. But again, always arriving at the same point. The East, especially Eastern Orthodox, have a bit of a problem because they don't see where this dogma was necessary. In fact, they think it's kind of, not erroneous, but in a sense kind of superfluous. And that has to do with the starting points of how East and West look at original sin. See, the East believes that Mary was without sin, but not in the same way that the West articulates it. Now, I want to make a little note right here on this before we get any further. Eastern Catholics accept all the dogmas and doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church because we are part of the Roman Catholic Church. The difference is we would emphasize them or celebrate them, articulate them, express them sometimes differently. Now, the Eastern Orthodox would go a little bit further and say they don't accept, at least they don't accept the way that the West articulates certain dogmas, such as the Immaculate Conception. I'm going to refer to a great work, a classic work called The Orthodox Way by Bishop Callistus Ware. Bishop Callistus Ware is an Orthodox bishop and a very, very renowned Eastern theologian, one that I highly recommend you reading if you want to read more and understand more about Eastern theology and spirituality. So here is what he is going to say about the Orthodox perspective on the Immaculate Conception. This is from his book, The Orthodox Way, Bishop Callistus Ware. 
Orthodoxy, while holding in high honor the role of the Blessed Virgin as Christ's mother, sees no need for any dogma of the Immaculate Conception. As defined by the Roman Catholic Church in 1854, this doctrine states that Mary, from the first moment of her conception by her mother, St. Anne, was exempted from all stain of original sin, all stain of original guilt. Two points need to be kept in mind here. First, as already noted early in his book, Orthodoxy does not envisage the fall in the Augustinian terms as a taint of inherited guilt, as I mentioned before. If we Orthodox had accepted the Latin view of original guilt, he says, they might also have felt the need to affirm a doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. As it is, our terms of reference are different. The Latin dogma seems to us not so much erroneous as superfluous. Secondly, for Orthodoxy, the Virgin Mary constitutes together with St. John the Baptist the crown and culmination of Old Testament sanctity. She is a link figure, the last and greatest of the righteous men and women of the Old Covenant. She is at the same time the hidden heart of the Apostolic Church, Acts 1.14. But the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception seems to Orthodox to take the Virgin Mary out of the Old Covenant and to place her by anticipation entirely in the New. On the Latin teaching, also, she no longer stands on the same footing as the other saints of the Old Testament, and so her role as link is impaired. Now, Callistus Ware, the Orthodox theologian, also says this, though. Although not accepting the Latin doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, Orthodoxy, in its liturgical worship, addresses the Mother of God as spotless, all-holy, altogether without stain. So Orthodox believe that after her death she was assumed into heaven, where she now dwells, with her body as well as her soul in her glory with her Son. She is for us the joy of all creation, the flower of the human race in the gate of heaven, precious treasure of the whole world. And we can go on and on and on. So let it be known that the East does speak in terms, liturgically especially, and that's always a key to the East, what we pray, how we pray, does speak in terms of a spotlessness. In fact, I'll quote another part of our liturgy for this feast day, and it says this, It is fitting that the queen of heaven and earth, who is more precious than the cherubim, incomparably more glorious than the seraphim, be conceived and remain immaculate as the angel, so that they who are servants of the Lord can boast of their own queen, the mother of God. Glory and praise to the one who willed it so, the creator of all things. Now, did you notice that? Those are the words of prayer in the Eastern Church. And remember, what the Eastern Church prays is what it believes. It's theology. Now, it's true with both churches, East and West, but particularly in the East, we tend to use prayer as also an expression of belief. And it's said there, conceived and remain immaculate as the angels. So we have now a certain meaning point where we're going to talk more about the differences in meaning point of this very interesting dogma of the Immaculate Conception when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Why do people call St. Nicholas Santa Claus anyway? Well, the people of Holland have always had a special fondness for St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus as they call me. 
In fact, to this very day, I still arrive to deliver gifts on St. Nicholas Eve, that's December 5th, dressed as a Roman Rite bishop and riding my white horse, Amerigo. Anyway, in the 16th century, when Dutch settlers came to the New World, they brought their Sinterklaas tradition with them to a place called New Amsterdam. That's modern New York City. And so, when the English-speaking settlers arrived, they began to mispronounce my Dutch name of Sinterklaas, which means, of course, St. Nicholas, and they began to call me Santa Claus. So Santa Claus really means St. Nicholas. But no matter what I'm called by name, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Praying, it's not about you. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. The Ukrainian Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky once wrote, When we pray for our own needs or the needs of those closest to us, we are certainly doing the right thing. But who of us actually realizes how much self-love there can be in these prayers? It may be that for such prayers we deserve the criticism of Jesus Christ, and sinners and publicans do the same. For these also love their children and care about their health and temporal goods. But when in prayer we forget ourselves for at least a moment and worship God for his own sake, a moment like this can be one when God's own spirit prays within our hearts with those inexpressible sighs of which St. Paul says, the spirit himself intercedes for us. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute dot C-A. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're talking about the feast and the dogma, the Immaculate Conception, or as they say in the East, the conception of the Mother of God in the womb of St. Anne. That already clues you into the fact that there's going to be a difference in perspective on this. Yet, the starting and ending point is basically the same. In fact, ironically, where the Orthodox say, sometimes rather adamantly, no, we don't accept the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, as articulated by the West. At the same time, the West came to its dogma from the East, from the Eastern theology, from the Eastern observance of this conception of the Mother of God and its liturgical text, which conveyed the theology. And the other irony is that we all end up at the same place, East and West, that this conception of the Mother of God, that Virgin Mary was without sin, there's no doubt about that, East or West, and that her conception was very special. And we use terms, even in the East, like pure, without stain, and so on. I'm going to refer to another book, a wonderful little book called Eastern Catholic Churches by Edward Falk. 101 Questions and Answers on Eastern Catholic Churches. Highly recommend it. It's put out by Alleluia Press. Very, very good book. Very simple and easy to use. And here's what he says about this issue. The teaching of the Latin Church is based upon the philosophy of the scholastics, which in turn is based upon the philosophy of Aristotle. That's what I mentioned earlier. However, Eastern theology does not use that philosophy and therefore does not find that the teachings derived from this are consistent with the Eastern approach. Since the Eastern understanding of original sin is different than that of the West, the basic premise of the Immaculate Conception makes no sense to the Orthodox East. Since we are all born without original sin, remember, it's the state of the world in which we are born that the East claims as original sin. It follows that this teaching on Mary is not quite the same in the East. However, the understanding of the West is that Mary was without sin from the moment of her conception. While the Eastern understanding is that Mary was ever sinless, this may sound like it is the same thing, but it isn't. 
Now you're probably saying, well, yeah, it is. Sure sounds like the same thing to me. Just to me, too. But Edward Falk, in this book on Eastern theology, says this. Rather, the Eastern view is that Mary may have been affected by original sin since this is the condition of the world. And rather than think this is only an Eastern view, we need to acknowledge that many theologians attempt to come to grips with the issue of Mary's sinlessness. St. Thomas Aquinas, for example, held that Mary was first conceived in the flesh and afterwards sanctified in the spirit. Of course, this was before the Latin Church formally introduced the teaching of the Immaculate Conception. That teaching finds its basis in the theology of anticipatory redemption, found the work of John Duns Scotus, which we, of course, we mentioned before. Eastern teachings on Mary may have an even greater emphasis on the Virgin Mary than the West. For Eastern Catholics, she is the Theotokos, Mother of God. She is higher than the seraphim, more glorious than the cherubim. Her icon is always to the left of the holy doors, as one faces the icon screen in Byzantine churches. And in the holy place or sanctuary from the main by the church upon which are placed icons. In the litanies chant at the divine liturgy, we find this. Let us remember our all holy, spotless, most highly blessed and glorious lady, the Theotokos and ever Virgin Mary. So again, the point here is that the East sometimes, especially Eastern Orthodox, might be very dogmatic about not accepting the dogma of the Immaculate Conception as articulated by the West. Although that may be the case, at the same time, the arrival point is basically the same. So is the point of origin. There was something special and pure and immaculate about her conception. Now, another source I'm going to read from is another great classic book called Our Faith, a Byzantine Catechism for Adults by Father Kazimir Kucharik. He also wrote a great book on the liturgy. Very, very fine scholar, Kazimir Kucharik. And he's saying this about the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Father Kucharik points out some of the liturgical texts where we say, This day, O faithful, from saintly parents begins to take being the spotless land, the most pure tabernacle, Mary. She is conceived, the only Immaculate One, having conceived the most pure dove, and filled with heavenly joy, sings hymns of thanksgiving unto God. Also, one of our very, very well-known prayers to the Mother of God done during the liturgy, in fact, during the Eucharistic part of the liturgy, of the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, used in the Byzantine churches, we say this, It is truly proper to glorify you who have borne God, the ever-blessed Immaculate Mother of our God, more honorable than the cherubim, beyond compare, more glorious than the seraphim, who a virgin gave birth to God the Word. You are truly the Mother of God, we magnify. So, you can see the praises that we give to her and in her spotlessness, her sinlessness. It's just how we see the sinlessness. In the East, especially the Orthodox, they would say that Mary was preserved from sin, but still would have experienced the effects of original sin because she was born into a world touched by original sin. So you see what happens is, and this is a very, very significant point to understand the differences between East and West in our approaches. The West will tend to be more single-focused a little bit more compartmentalized, explaining things with greater extent and detail more specifically. The best way I can describe the Eastern approach is that it tends to be a little bit more effusive. In other words, it doesn't necessarily zero in on one part of it and really define it. For instance, if the East says about this dogma, the Immaculate Conception, that Mary was ever sinless, though she did not commit sin, but she was still nonetheless affected by original sin because she was born in a world that was fallen by original sin. So there, you notice how there's, there's a kind of a more effusiveness, kind of a, more of a universality to the approach. We're not talking just about her conception, not zeroing in just on her, but her in relation to the world in which she was born and lived in and eventually assumed from into heaven, body, and soul. So you see the difference? It's an effusiveness versus a more 
focused or specific kind of view of things. But I can't emphasize enough that the origins and starting point of East and West ultimately are the same. I don't think the, even the Orthodox would accuse the West of saying something heretical by the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. In fact, as you heard from a very prominent Eastern Orthodox theologian, Bishop Timothy Ware, Callistus Ware, his also name is Timothy, he said that it's not so much erroneous as it is superfluous. In other words, you don't need to say that. You don't need to go into that. You're going a little too far. You're a little too specific. See how the East will look at the West on, not in everything, but certain things. They'll say, ah, you know, you're going a little bit too far, and if you go too far, you start to define things, you define it that clearly, you almost start to say something different. See the difference? It's a matter of how far you go with certain definitions. Now, this is not the case with everything. The East does not see the West that way on everything, just on certain things that they believe cannot fully, totally be explained. And if we attempt to do that, the East will say we kind of almost like cross over a boundary, and then it starts to almost become something different, almost erroneous, or to use a very harsh word, heretical. I'm not saying they're accusing the West of heresy. They're just saying it kind of brings it to the, to the brink of that by going so far in definition. I don't know if all this is clear to you or not. It's probably confusing, but it's one of those issues that, as I look at it, I like to ask that question, as maybe you are asking as well. So is all this highly nuanced in this whole point about different perspectives, but arriving and beginning at the same place, is that really a reason for us to be apart? I think that's the question we always have to come back to. It's the question I come back to, and why I'm committed on this radio program, this program Lately East, to Christian unity between East and West. I always raise the question, well, okay, maybe we're different here or there, but how fundamental is that difference? Is it a difference that can justify leaving the torn body of Christ torn apart? I mean, that's a very, very weighty reality. To insist on the body of Christ being torn apart like it is between East and West, you've got to have a pretty, pretty darn good reason why you would insist on that. And I think we always have to ask ourselves, is this or that difference in approach or emphasis or perspective on some of these issues, these dogmas even, are they really so different that it so-called justifies? I hate to even use that word. How can anything justify being torn apart, having the body of Christ being torn apart? I think this is a very significant question and a dining question. It's one that I ask myself. It's one that I ask you. It's one that I ask of the church East and West. Well, I hope this program wasn't too confusing. I hope it was somewhat insightful or enlightening as we continue together to look towards the East and Christian unity. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again, hear it again, hear it again, hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. (laughs) 